theyeshiva.net. Hi, everybody. Welcome to tonight's special program, special edition of Coach Menachem. Let's get real. Tonight is our 45th year. Um, we're going to try to really, really ram through this today. We have a tremendous amount of questions. It's a big topic. Uh, we have two, you know, speakers over here, Rabbi Waiwai and Moshe Lamb. We're first start off with all the advertising sponsors that come on, that promote us every week. First, the Lakewood Scoop. Thank you very much for promoting us here in Lakewood. And for Rabbi and Anif Chazak, again, appreciation for that. Thank you for Mrs. Mika Sofer from CLL Live. A special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shul Summer from JCM, Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the Jewish platforms. Uh, just quickly, next Sunday, March 14th, we're going to have an amazing program with Rabbi Shays Tav, Rabbi Shimon Russell, live from our struggle discussing the surprising truth about the problems that we all have. So uh, that's the surprise title. It's going to be amazing. And again, this is a three-part series with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Tonight, our focus is on the parents' role in the dating parsha for everybody dating. Uh, the questions are geared to that, and that's what we're focusing on. There will be a follow-up program for the Bachram for the boys on March 22nd, and there will be a follow-up program for the girls for the women uh, right after Pesach, as soon as we confirm the date. Um, I just mentioned uh, Coach Menachem Show is collaborating with OK Clarity, a Jewish a greater health and wellness Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. On their platform, you can find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage in forums, and stay inspired. Links can be found in Menachem will email after the show. And again, we have a tremendous show. Let's start first with opening words from Coach Menachem. Okay, the excitement is in the air. You can hear it on Usha's voice. So I want to welcome everyone to the special edition on Wednesday night. And like we discussed, tonight's topic, the first of three of a three-part series. So tonight's topic is going to be narrowed down to the parents. And even in the parents, it's pretty um, vague. You're talking about from all different types and uh, different questions. So hopefully we'll be able to, to um, get clear on what we'll discuss. So as a parent, we all want the best for our kids. And sometimes that itself, that itself that we want the best for our kids can be a struggle because the parents are already older. In, in other words, they're already on the other side and they see things with different lens and they want to guide their kids, you know, based on their experiences. They want to tell their kids what to do, what not to do. But the problem is the child is not there. The child's on the other side, and sometimes they don't understand um, exactly. They're not on the same page, and it's a very fine balance between giving them the guidance and letting them go through their own journey. Like we discussed, we're all on our own journey, and uh, as parents, um, we need to be there, hold their hands while they're on their journey, but too much control can be a problem. And the truth is, it doesn't stop after the dating. You know, the Shidduch, Baruch Shem, to get married, and then you have the young couple, and the parent wants this, and the parent wants that, this parent, that parent. And uh, you need another program for that. You get into a struggle. So I want to thank the presenters tonight, Rabbi YY with Ramosh Zed Lam. I guess we can get um, from all sides, the Hashkofa and the therapeutic, Together, we'll be able to hear Abyssal Eitzis and Adrochus and Mitzvah. We'll be able to use it. And Tzvila Tashem, we say in the Tzvila Tashla, Besazmulhem Zvugim Agunim, Mizera Talmud Chomim, Mizera Tzadikim, Vigam Zivugam Yukamoisam Gicholashes Palalti Alayim, Kizikarin Echad Oil Lakan Lakan, whatever you must follow for your own child, 
It means you're mispal for their spouses, for the Shaduchim, Shagov Shalom, Shkoyach. Beautiful opening words. Koshmanachim just finished the Shaduch Parsha. His daughter's engaged right away. He's making Hasana soon. So uh, he's, really, he's, really, he's really in the Parsha. Okay, let's first start with our, thanking our corporate sponsors for the series uh, Ocean Breeze Cleaning. It's a very good friend of mine, Moishi Feldman. He lives on Open Vine in Lakewood. He does power washing and cleaning. Give him a call. He's a very sweet guy. His number is 732-276-5668. Again, that's 732-276-5668. Ocean Breeze Cleaning. Our other corporate sponsors, Rabbi Ari Klein from Klein's Kosher Ice Cream. As we said last year, Rabbi YY, all Jewish memories or trauma always started with a good Klein's ice cream bar. So simply the best kosher ice cream in the world. Shkoyach Rabbi for always uh, promoting Rabbi YY and pushing it. We really appreciate it. Again, just uh, a lot of people came since we started. So again, one of our overview. This is a three-part series that we're starting now on dating. Tonight's focus will be on the parents' role in the Shaduchim. The questions and everything should be geared towards that. That's what we're focusing on. It will be follow-up for the, for the boys and for the men and for the, for the ladies. Another shirim. Let's really try to focus on that. Rabbi Huawei felt this was an important topic. Actually, he reached out to me and said, let's do this. Let's really do this. And uh, he brought on this top therapist, Moshe Zev Lam, Rabbi Lam from Muncie, one of the, one of the professionals in the marriage, marriage world to give us the therapeutic point of view to bounce things around. And again, a lot of questions came in. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground. And we're going to try to, people, again, it's supposed to be an internet, interactive program. If you have any questions, we'll get to that. Please ask. This is why it's meant. This is why the program is created, so people can ask the questions. Let's start off with uh, opening statement from uh, Moshe Zev Lam. The floor is yours. Okay. Hello, everybody. Uh, Coach Menachem, Rabasha, thank you so much for having me here. It's it's really it's a schluss for me to be here on multiple levels. First of all, uh, to be first of all, just to talk about this topic. This is such an important topic, and I really appreciate being invited to talk about this topic. Second, just being part of this. This is this is not a Zoom share. This is this this program is a phenomena, and it, it's just a schluss to be part of the phenomena. You've created a phenomena, and I'm just I'm thrilled to be a part of a part of it. Um, and third, this is schluss. It's humbling and it's exciting to be sharing the podium with the Rabbi YY. Uh, so once Rabbi YY is here, I know a lot of other a lot of people are going to be watching. So that, I guess that's a good thing. Um, so let, let's get started. What what I want to do is. We're going to be talking, you mentioned, Coach Menachem, you mentioned Aitzis uh, and Adrachis. And I, I guess that's what tonight is going to be a lot about, a lot of questions and answers and Aitzis and Adrachis about this thing called dating. What I'd like to do is define this thing called dating. That's what, just what I want to do in the opening remark. Well, what, what is dating? What, what is that? And if we don't understand what dating is, and, and what it is and what it's not, if we don't understand what dating is, we have misleading, misguided expectations and it's not going to end well. If, if I have if, if I have a, a, a toaster, you know, the kind that you put two slices of bread in and push it down, and I think that this is meant to broil a steak, and I put a steak in, it's not going to end well, and I'm going to go around complaining that the toaster doesn't work and steaks are horrible. If we don't understand what dating is, I'm going to walk around saying dating doesn't work and marriages are terrible. I need to understand what dating is and what dating is not. So let, let me... Now, if you ask somebody, what's the point of dating? What, what is dating? The, the, the push the answer is, it's dating is that thing that we do to make sure that I know who I'm marrying. Okay, I need to know this person that I'm marrying. Why? It makes sense. How can I marry somebody without knowing them? Okay, so let's assume that's what dating is. Now, let me ask you a question. Or let, let, me, let me say this as a statement, not as a question. The vast, vast majority of what you will learn about your spouse in your lifetime, you will learn after the wedding. Go ask any 90 year old who's been married for 70 years. 
How much of what they know today about their spouse did they know when they walked down the, down the aisle to the chuppah? If, if they answer anything more than 1%, I would be surprised. The vast majority of what you're going to know about your spouse, you're going to know about them, you're going to learn about them after the wedding. So let's go back and revisit that statement. Dating is this thing that we do to make sure that I know who I'm marrying. Huh? If that's what I think dating is, I, I, I got it wrong. That's not that obviously that's not what dating is. So so what is this? So is, some, is, is, is dating broken? Like what, what what is this? And once you understand that the vast majority, so 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 here's I'm gonna offer somewhat of a definition of dating. I haven't worked it out completely, but I, I one thing I know for sure, it's not that thing that we do to make sure I know who I'm marrying because it does it doesn't, it's it's not. If so, so so I'm gonna put forward a, a, a possible you know, the beginning of a conversation of what dating is. Dating is that thing. If, if marriage is that thing that we do, it, let me say it differently. If marriage, if if 99% of what I know about my spouse, I learn after the wedding, that means marriage is a journey of discovery. So what's dating? Dating is that thing that I do to see if this is the person that I want to go on a journey of discovery with. That's it. I'm going to learn maybe 1% about this person. But what's that 1% that I'm focused on? If I don't, if the 1% that I'm focused on is, is this the person I want to go on a lifetime journey with and get to know? Is this a person that has, so what are, the, what are those qualities that I want to go on a journey? Is this a person that has empathy? Is this a person who's interested in going on the journey with me? Is this a person who sees me? Is this a person has, what me this Tobis can I glean? In that 1%, what me this Tobis can I glean? Is this a pleasant person with? Am I, am I, it, think, if you think of dating in those terms, is this the person I want to go on a journey with? It, dating is a different experience. That's number one. That's point number one. Point number two is we date. Think about the process of dating. It's fun. It's light, right? They would say we have some, a lot of DMCs. For those who don't have daughters, that means deep, meaningful conversations, right? Till, for, for hours on end. We, we, we spend, we're curious, right? Fun, curiosity. Now think about this for a second. After we get married, so and, and based on that dynamic, we just we we like each other. We really like each other. Wow, I have fun with him, and we, we do all these things, and then we get married. And when we get married, we stop doing these things. I've seen couples who have come into my office after 20 years of marriage, and I asked them, "When was the last time you had a conversation just for the sake of having a conversation that had no agenda, nothing, a light, fun? When was the last time you had fun? When was the last time you you just all the things that we do?" To make sure that we like each other, we stop doing when we got married. If you're educating your children about dating, you have to educate them that whatever they're doing on the dates, they have to keep doing for the rest of their life. The, dating is the beginning of a process that has to start a, start a lifetime. That's number two. The third point I want to make about the last point I want to make about dating is this is a, this is on a personal note. I'm, I'm going to say the first two points. I was introduced as, as a couples therapist. I was introduced as, as the professional part of this, of, 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 of the, the duo, right? But for the next two minutes, I'm not going to be the professional. For the next two minutes, I want to be a father who has Baruch Hashem bin to do many shaduchim. And I want to just share one aspect of that experience. So I'm talking one, one Jew to another. There are many areas in life where one of the challenges of being uh, being a Jew is is not to, not to say right. This is 
we, we, we try to, you know, it's, it's older by the, the, the world is an illusion. It looks like we're in control, but we have to say it's not going to be it's in Yadi. There's one area that I have found that it is so clear that I have no control. It is so clear that it's the Yad Hashem, and that's dating, that's Shadduchim. It, it's an area that is just the things that I've seen, this, I'm just saying this as on a personal level, the things that I've seen both personally and, and at the professional level also, the things that, I've, that are coming to my office in terms of Shadduchim. There is, there is no, I don't think there's an area in life where the Yad Hashem is more manifest. And it's, 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 if you really look at what's going on, it's very hard to say, there's no illusion. It's there. The Yad Hashem is all over the place. We control nothing. And if that's the case, what are we doing here for the next hour? What are, what are, the, I mean, what are we doing? And, and so I think it becomes obvious that we're doing Heshadlis. We have, we have an Achrayas to do the right Heshadlis. We cannot be negligent. Rebunshalom wants us to do. And everything we're discussing here tonight is, is, is about that established, but it's not about controlling a process. And there are two things that come out of, if I look at it as not controlling a process, if I look at it, this is just the established. Two things happen. Number one, if I back off and say, I am not in control of dating. Two, things, two, two I think, very profound things happen in terms of a family, in terms of raising a family, in terms of children, in terms of our connection with our children. If my child is five years old, and I know that the shidduch that I'm going to be making in 15 years, I do not control, then every single decision I make for this five-year-old child will be about this five-year-old child. If I'm worried about shidduchim, then literally from the age of one, I will be thinking about shidduchim. And we end up sometimes raising a shidduch instead of raising a child. If I know that shidduchim, I will look at my child as a child. What's going to be with Shaduchim? If I send him to this yeshiva, what's going to be with Shaduchim? If I make that decision, it's like, what's going to be with Shaduchim? I don't know. But I need to make a decision based on this child. That's number one. And the second thing that comes out of giving up control is when you go into the dating process, if it's about control, then it's about anxiety. It's about frustration. It's about anger. It's about friction. It's about me, my child, my child and me. There's this, if it's about Shaduchim, if I realize I'm, we're not in control here, and if I tell that to my child also, we're not in control, we're going to do our best. What happens is the dating process can become a really, really powerful bond between a parent and a child. The discussions can be calm. There's a menuchas and nefesh that sets in. That's that's dating. Thank you, Rabbi Len. Beautiful opening. And now we're going to, we're, trying, we're in a rush tonight. <laughs> let's, let's let's slow it down. But we're in a rush. We have a tremendous amount of questions. People are texting nonstop questions. Rabbi Wai Wai. Right? We're going to finish tonight at three o'clock. He says, right? It's for me an honor to introduce Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak Jacobson. I'm not going to even do the bio. Go. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, my dear friend, Rabbi Usher. Thank you, my dear friend, Coach Menachem. Thank you so much to Rabbi Moshe Zev Lam, one of the great and celebrated therapists here in our community in Rockland County. And thank you to the Hundreds and hundreds or thousands and maybe couples listening, hundreds or thousands of people gracing us here this evening with your presence. I had the privilege of being here a few times before. It's always a thrilling, meaningful, uplifting, inspiring experience. Let me tell you why I reached out to my dear friend Reb Usher and Coach Menachem and asked them to host this program. And why I'm speaking to you this evening. I am not a, it's an important disclaimer. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a coach. I'm not a social worker. 
and, and I never married off any children. My children are younger. Be'ezer Hashem in the right time, so I don't have personal experience here. So I speak to you tonight, not as a professional, guiding people professionally in the dating processes or parents, as a therapist or as somebody who experienced it, but rather from my years of traveling and interacting with individuals and communities all across the globe, I see how much pain, confusion, uncertainty there is around the topic of dating, relationships, engagements, marriage, intimacy, dysfunctional homes, traumas that we bring into our marriage, red flags that we ignored, resulting often in catastrophic consequences. And therefore, I wanted to share some of the perspectives that I have gleaned over the years, and of course some of the things that I have learned, in the tradition of Yiddishkeit, of thousands of years. So, I'm going to begin my opening remarks with going back to the first major dating story, or first major Shidduch story in Jewish history, and as far as we know in world history. The first Shidduch ever was a match made in heaven. They didn't have to date. It was a match made in heaven, pun intended, and of course, that was Adam and Chava. But the first Shidduch that we learn about where there was a lot of wheeling and dealing and a lot of negotiation and a lot of problems and a lot of setbacks and a lot of failures and a crisis and it almost never happened and it was not simple at all, is that one shidduch from which we, every one of us, comes from. The shidduch between Yitzchak and Rivka. In fact, it's the longest parsha in Torah. I don't know if you know this. Parsha's Chayisara the entire chapter 54, chapter 24, 67 psukim, dedicated to the story of a date. And I say this explicitly because if you read the story, 66 psukim don't deal with the marriage. 66 psukim deal with the preparations for the marriage. The last posik, the 67th posik, says they got married. Yitzchak married Rivka. He brought her to the tent of Sarah, his mother. He married her. He loved her. And he was comforted. He found comfort after the death of his mother, Sarah. But 66 psukim are about Avram summoning his servant and dispatching him on a mission to go find a girl, making him swear, giving him the conditions and telling him what not to do. Eliezer taking the journey coming to the place, standing at the well, davening to Hashem, creating a sign how he's going to know who's the right girl for Yitzchak, meeting her, speaking to her, going to her home, repeating the whole story to her parents and brother, back and forth, sleeping the night, negotiating with them, they're in, they're out, speaking to her, taking her back. And I ask you a question. The main point of the story is the marriage. That's one possible. 66 psukim is about getting to that point, that destination. What does this teach us? What I want to share with you is two powerful lessons. Lesson number one. Avram Avinu had a boy at the age of 100. His wife 
90. They waited their entire life for this son. Avram knew, if I knew it, he knew it, that the wife that his son is going to marry is maybe the most consequential decision he's going to make in his life. She's going to be the matriarch, the exclusive singular matriarch of God's people. He didn't have other sons. He had another son. But the mystery, the tradition, the genealogy of Judaism goes through Yitzchak. His wife is going to be the mother of Klal Yisrael. Maybe Avram should have gone himself and find a wife for Yitzchak. He did not. He sent Eliezer, his servant, and he trusted him. He gave him and he empowered him with this mission. You choose the right girl for my boy. Why didn't Avram do it himself? You know why, my friends? Here is one possible interpretation. Listen to this. Open your hearts. Avram Avinu knew that as much as he loved Yitzchak, Bincha, Yechid, Chasher, Hafta, their dispositions were opposite. Avraham, the Zayar says, was Midas HaChesed. He was the paradigm of love, of generosity. Yitzchak was Midas HaGvura, the attribute of discipline, restraint, introvertedness, introspection. Yitzchak was inside. Avraham was on the out. Avraham projected. Yitzchak was very internal. Avraham knew that the spouse that he may choose for Yitzchak may be a spouse that he would appreciate, that he would cherish, but it may not be what his son needs. So often, I choose for my child that which I feel is the best choice, the most wonderful person. She is the right girl. There's only one issue. I'm projecting my own characteristics, my own Weltanschauung, my own paradigms on my child. My child is my child, but my child is not me. You know what Avram did? He took Eliezer. Eliezer was objective. Eliezer grew up in the home, so he knew Yitzchak from the day he was born. Eliezer knew Yitzchak intimately, but on the other hand, Eliezer was not family. Eliezer was on the outside. And he trusted Eliezer. Eliezer will find the right person for Yitzchak. And indeed, Avram Avinu chose a woman very different. Avram was chesed, Sarah was gvura. Yitzchak was gvura, Rivka was chesed. You see? Avram chose a very different wife than Yitzchak. Eliezer understood what Yitzchak needed. That's why he sent Eliezer. Number one. Number two, what we see from this story, I think, is a very powerful idea in the sense that the Torah doesn't just say, let's jump into this wedding. There is respect 66 verses for the preparation. It takes time. The research, the journey, the encounters, the meetings, dealing with problems, dealing with uncertainty. Don't dismiss it. Don't disregard it. Don't denigrate it. Don't try to skip it. Don't get frustrated by it. The shidduch from which we all come from, 66 verses the Torah dedicates to it and only one verse to the, for the marriage, even though the marriage is the ultimate raison d'etre. Number two, what we learn from this is, often we, we look at the time of dating, the time that we're not married yet, as some not real life. It's not living. There's nothing significant about this time. It's just frustrating time. It's like the time in the airport. It's the time on the security line. It's when you're stuck in traffic. 
Nobody looks at the time you spend in the airport, especially when your plane is delayed and the security line is two hours, especially during COVID, for those of you who are flying. Nobody looks at that time as the time when you're alive. That's the time when you're semi-dead. You wish you can afford your private plane and for $40,000 you could fly on your own without the airport. That's what you wish. Some of us look at the whole dating scene, the whole dating process. My children have to get married. One date, another date, another date, another date. It's almost like there's no life. Let's get it done. Let's get married. Go to the wedding. God willing, build a family. That's where life begins. The terrorist says, no, 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 no. God's blueprint for life dedicates one verse to the wedding, 66 verses to the preparations. Because the journey towards your destination is also meaningful and inspiring. Life doesn't only happen tomorrow when I settle down. Life is happening right now. Every moment is meaningful. Every encounter, every experience, and even every setback is part of the mission and the journey of your soul, allowing you to maximize your potentials and fulfill the purpose for which your soul came down into the world. If I can end by a quote of Winston Churchill, I heard this from the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Somebody asked him if he ever experienced failure in his life. Somebody asked Rabbi Sachs, did you ever fail? Because he was such a celebrity and so successful and world-renowned. Sadly, he was taken from us this year, Shabbos Vayera, 20 Chechav Cheshmer. So Rabbi Sachs started to laugh. He said, failure? Have I ever failed? (laughs) I'm asking myself, have I ever really reached real success? And he said, my greatest definition for success is one that comes from Winston Churchill. Churchill said the definition of success is moving from failure to failure without losing, without losing your enthusiasm. It's a profound idea. We all want to be successful. But part of success is I learn from mistakes. I stumble. I fail. Not everything is successful. But I realize that every failure is a catalyst and a springboard for awareness, for education, for rejuvenation. So I hope that each of us can glean wisdom from that story with Eliezer. Learn it. As I told you, the longest parsha, the Gemara, Chazal say, most halachas are given a word, a sentence, maybe a posik. And here you have 67 psukim, because it really contains many powerful secrets for life. Rabbi Waiwai, wow, what opening, okay, tremendous amount of questions came in, I just want to tell you Rabbi Waiwai, your, your sound and voice is a little off, I don't know if you're plugged in or not, if you could plug in it would be great, if possible, mm-hmm. um, we got a tremendous amount of questions, um, we're going to we're gonna try to uh, we're gonna try to navigate through them, again, anybody who's on tonight, please turn on your camera, uh, you have, you know, Rabbi Waiwai here, you have the top therapist, Moshe Zev Lam, this is an opportunity to ask, it's interactive, you know, feel comfortable, I'm going to start off with a few that came in just to get everybody warmed up. But uh, anybody wants to ask a question, please text me, Asher Parnas, on the chat, and uh, we'll let you know. First question, okay? We'll, uh, we'll start from both of you. Rabbi, Rabbi, uh, Moshe, Rabbi Lam, you go first, and then Rabbi, Rabbi Waiwai. My daughter is 19. She's my oldest child. I am new in the Shinduchim world. What first steps would you advise me? So, probably expecting me to say something like, 
sit down and talk to her about Shaduchim. What is she looking for? Um, what kind of guy? What does she want from her life? I would sit down and talk to her about her life outside Shaduchim. This girl, she's 19. She probably came home from seminary. Um, what is she doing this year? Is she in a job that she likes? What's her social life like? Does she have friends? Is, uh, does she have her summer job set up? Is she living life? I, th- I think the first thing that we need to let our kids know as they enter in Shaduchim, that this is not your life. You, you have to live life. And inside this living of life, we're going to try to find you a Shidduch. We're going to try to find a Shidduch. We're going to go out on dates. But what happens so often is life becomes about Shaduchim. So, yeah, you have to you have to sit down and, and talk about Shaduchim. But the question, I think, was what's the first thing I should do? First thing you should do is make sure that she will have a beautiful year, whether she finds a shidduch this year, whether she doesn't find a shidduch this year. And next year should also be a beautiful year, whether she finds a shidduch next year or she doesn't find a beautiful shidduch next year. Make sure your kids at 19, 20, 21 are living beautiful, productive, meaningful lives. And they're not just sitting in the waiting room waiting for a shidduch. That's that's the first thing. Well, I like Great. Go to the next question. Great answer. Okay, the next question. Very, these are all basic. We're starting with the basics over here. My basic son went out, is good. My son went out a few times with a sweet girl. He can't decide if he's happy. What role should parents play in this? Should we wait till he decides? Or how much should we butt in? It might Shazef. <laughs> You're always supposed to butt in. What, what, what kind of question is that? Could, just the, the way the question was worded was very, very interesting. I mean, should we butt in? It, it makes it sound like there's two of us, right? There's, there's two sides over here. And my son is on one side. We're on the other side. He can't make his decision, right? Those are the question. He can't make his decision. And what should we do? Should we butt in? There's a process here. And, and I think you need to set up a teamwork with your son. It's not butting in. It, it's I think the process of the process of dating, the process of shaduchim is sitting down and creating an alliance with your son. I think the answer to that question is: Can you create an alliance with him? He can't make a decision. Right? What was, the question was: He couldn't make a decision. What, what was the question, Rabasha? What was the? He 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 doesn't know if he should continue, if he should drop her. What? How much as a parent do you just let them ride it out, or you you start handling with them and giving them your your guidance? That that's. He can't make a decision. And I, I think I want to say something that I think may apply to a lot of the questions that are going to come up. Shaduchim is a process. And a process means that at the beginning we don't know. And we just kind of move through this process. The definition of a process means that in the beginning we're uncertain. And I think a big part of Shaduchim is being able to sit with uncertainty. This boy doesn't know. He doesn't know. Yes, no, should I, shouldn't I? Sitting in uncertainty is not confusion. I think, I think we mistake the two. We say, oh, he doesn't know. He can't make up his mind. He's very confused. No, no. He's in the middle of a process and he's uncertain. And talking him through that, asking him questions, allowing him to, to I think parents, it's not butting in. It's helping him talk it through. And, it, and, and talking through means 
there may have been things that we talked about a hundred times. We talked about it after the first day. We talked about it after the second day. We talked about it after the third. Okay, now it's the fourth day. You're going to talk through the same thing again. Here goes the hundred and first time. That's that's a process, and just be okay with that. I, I, that that's, but just the term "butting in" is I, I just think not applicable over here. It's it's can you can you can you align with him and help him talk it through? Many people are asking, um, there are many newbies, and how do they know if their child is ready? And the child wants to start dating, and the parent doesn't think that the child is ready. Who's the question to? Rebosh Nazef. I'm allowed to not know the answer to this one. <laughs> I'm going to say the same answer as I said to the question before. Uh, how, how do I know if my child is ready? Uh, you don't. And, and could you stay with that uncertainty? Talk it through with them. My child thinks they are ready. My child, sometimes the child thinks they're ready. The parent thinks they're not ready. The parent thinks they're ready. The child thinks they're not ready. I, I'm going to resist the temptation now to go through a checklist of what's called ready for Shaduchim. I, I think, you know, th- those checklists are out there. You know, maturity and midos and, 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 and you know, is he ready to t- be responsible in life? If you, my child feels he's not ready, if my child is ready, ready and I feel he's not ready, I need to sit down and have a conversation. What what is it? What are his expectations or her expectations of, of marriage? What are what are the and and, and again I, I want I sound like a broken record over here, but trying to bring this back into a joint venture. I, I think my child's not ready. He thinks he's ready. She thinks she's ready. I think she's not ready. We have machlekes. No no no. Don't don't. Can you we take it away from machlekes and let's sit down and talk this through. Okay, what does being ready for marriage mean? Let you tell me what being ready for marriage means. I'll tell you what being ready for marriage means, and let's have this conversation. Okay, let's get into this one. Right? Well, let's start with you. What 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 words of advice or chizik can you offer parents of children that have been dating for ten plus years? We feel sometimes lost, or that our child is picky, or people are not writing us good shaduchim, either because our family status or money. What type of chizik for people that are having you know? It's an important question. Thank you very much. The first thing is we have to acknowledge the fact that it's difficult. It's painful. We expected the shidduch to have happened years ago. The child is getting older. The boy or the girl is getting older. So many frustrating experiences. It almost worked out. It didn't work out. So I think it's important just to create space and have compassion for what your child is going through. Of course, for what you're going through, but most importantly, what your child is going through. Try to be able to have open conversations about it in a non-judgmental way, in a curious way. To a point a finger and tell them, you know, you're too picky, you're a perfectionist, everybody has flaws, you got to get your act together, you're being immature. You don't want to distant your child. You don't want your child should feel that they can't talk to you, that they can't trust you. So it's important to create space for whatever his or her experience is without judgmentalism, without compassion, without the need to be right. Just to listen and to be attentive to what they're going through. Because from that attentiveness and empathy, you can guide them 
in a very subtle, benign, and kind way. That's number one. Number two, it's so important to emphasize what I said earlier in my opening remarks. Life does not stop when you're dating and you did not find your bashert. Life does not stop when you're not dating and you're hoping to find your soulmate. It's a mistake that many of us make, and I understand why we make it. It's almost like when I get married, I start living. Till then, I'm in a comatose state. That's not a proper approach. And this is where social conformity comes in. Very often in some of our communities, it's like there's a label. She's married. She's not. Why is she not married? He's married. He's not married. Why is he not married? Why is he not married? His brother got married at 22. He's 29. Why is he not married? And you know what? People are people. But it's about the parents. The parents have to exhibit the confidence. This is where real trust in God happens. We talk about emunah, Hashem, Hashgacha Pratis. This is where it really counts. It really means that God has a plan for every single soul. And the fact that right now I'm not married, it's because my mission right now is not to be married. My mission is to explore other aspects of life. Focus on self-growth, focus on an education, focus on a career, get involved in a project, build myself up, make my own discoveries in life. Life is a journey. And every moment, every moment has absolute and infinite significance. It's not wise and it's non, very non-spiritual and very inauthentic to put Judaism in a box and a model. This is what a good life looks like. Really? You know what a good life looks like? One of the most powerful ideas of Judaism is, you know what a good life looks like? What your life looks like by realizing that wherever I am, that's where I can find purpose. Moshe's opening conversation with God. What does Hashem tell him? Moshe says, I want to get to the bush and understand why it's not being consumed. Take your shoes off your feet because the place upon which you stand is sacred soil. You have to be able to discover in life that the the space upon which you stand has so much potential and so much opportunity and so much significance. It's pulsating with divine, infinite vibrancy. Don't run away from your space, not geographically and not conceptually. Of course I want to get married. Of course I want to have a successful date and move on in life. But with the, the way to get to that place is only with a positive attitude, with good spirits and with realizing that till I get to that point, my life is not a nebach situation. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. I'm not a shlomazel. I'm not a loser. I'm not a nerd because all of my classmates are married. Yes, I may have toxic thoughts that tell that to me, but that comes from the Yetzirah. And we as parents have the responsibility to really live with this, to really breathe this. And this is a very internal experience. I'm telling you this. You have to work on yourself. Because when you come to that place, you will exude a different type of energy in the home. And your child will experience that different type of energy. And it will only help them, God willing, in the right time, to find the right person. We're getting a tremendous amount of texts. We have like four or five of the same question. It's really for both of you. They're asking for both. Whoever wants to go first. 
General question is, I have an older child in Shaduchim, and my younger child wants to start dating already. A, how do I work with it? And how do I, how do I stay sensitive to the older child's feelings if I do agree? Rabbi Lam, if you want to go first. So I, I, I have very strong personal feelings about this. Um, I know that there are certain minhagim in certain families. Certain families have certain hakpadas. And I don't want to get involved in that because I don't know in Yanim, I don't know the, the, the Hashkofa aspects of any of this. But I could tell you from what I've seen personally, what I've seen professionally, how much pain has been caused by people waiting. 20, 21, 22, 23. And, and people waiting around. And then, and then there's a backup. And then there are three siblings waiting. I, I, I think the idea of waiting... I, I've just seen too much pain caused by waiting. But again, I'm not getting into the Ashkafa parts of it. In terms of the older sibling, um, I think this should be a conversation between the siblings. With the parents sometimes, without the parents sometimes. The parents should sit down with the older sibling, talk to the older sibling about it. And what we're trying to create is empathy between the siblings. And understanding between the siblings. The, the, this older sibling needs to have empathy for what the younger siblings are going through. The younger siblings need to have empathy for what the, for what the older sibling is going through. And having them, having, I think having this be an open discussion is the best way to handle it. It's not the elephant in the room that nobody, the pink elephant in the room that nobody talks about. It's something that we talk about. We talk about the pain. We talk about the, the and, it, and, it, and it's really painful for a 28-year-old to see their 28, 23-year-old sibling get married is, is beyond, beyond painful. And then it becomes even more painful when everybody walks over to them at the chasana and says, it's, it's, it's beyond painful. So I think to, to deal with this pain, it's, it's bringing the family together and don't, it, it needs to be openly talked about between the siblings and between the parents and the siblings. But, but I wouldn't wait. Beautiful. Very well said, Reb Moshezev. Mr. Lem, thank you. Completely agree. And I would just add one more thing, and that is it's brought in Svarim and in works of Halacha that it is important, not just from a psychological point of view and from a therapeutic point of view, but also from a moral point of view, that the younger sibling really has an intimate and vulnerable and real conversation with the older sibling. And in a very genuine way, what we call asks them mechila, which means asks them for real permission to be able to go ahead, not because they're doing anything wrong. If I'm younger and I found a wonderful shidduch, I'm not doing anything wrong. But it's, it's when, when even indirectly, if I'm causing somebody pain, because it's just going to trigger their own pain and disappointment, so I have to be able to be accountable for what I did, you know. If I slam the door on your finger unintentionally, I apologize. So I come to my older sibling and I really have an open conversation, a vulnerable conversation, telling them how much I respect them and love them and appreciate them and ask them for real permission, real permission to be able to go ahead. Even if both of us do this with a bittersweet feeling because there is pain involved and it's so important to get that. You know, don't, don't override it, don't ignore it, don't say it's nothing. And I also once saw a letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory to somebody, to a parent, and he said that the etzim fact, the very fact that the older brother or the older sister gave 
wholehearted, gave permission wholeheartedly to their youngest sibling, that itself generates such an amazing energy in the world, such a beautiful energy in the world that creates within their life an opening that they could become a channel for that flow of blessings which will help them find their soulmate. So that you can do it actually in a very positive and optimistic way because that itself really contributes to what you are searching for, which is to find, God willing, your own spouse in the right time. Just a follow-up, and if somebody's texting, what happens if the older sibling is not masking, then Jermaisa is taking too long? Oh, if the older sibling, the older sibling is not masking. Right, so, Jermaisa, what do you say? We'd have them speak to Rabbi Waiwai. It's uh... It's it's so we really have to understand what's happening. In other words, why is the older sibling not masking? They're hurting very very deeply. So are we talking about a person who, you know, and 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 I'm saying this with a lot of respect. Sometimes a person is dealing with a certain type of illness, a certain type of challenge in the way they look at life. They may not be living in reality. They may be living in a delusional world, you have to be sensitive to that. That's a whole different scenario, different situation. If it's not that situation, we really want to find out why is the older sibling not agreeing? What is the pain that's sitting in them? And it, it has to be addressed. I think it's important. It's important to address it. You find a, either a top therapist or a top psychiatrist or a top rabbi, a real expert, a real person with empathy and wise understanding in this sugya, to be able to, to, to address this with this older sibling and hopefully reach some reconciliation. Moshe Zev wants to add something. I want to add one thing to that. Sometimes, if the conversation is, sometimes the, old, the younger sibling will say, okay, you know, if you're Macbeth, I'm, I'm okay to wait. Let's wait a year. And sometimes, but sometimes the younger sibling really, really wants to start dating. Sometimes the younger sibling is begging to start dating and the older sibling says no. And just to go back to that, that I, I don't, you, you're, in a, you're in a situation where one person, I, I'm just, it, you know, there's so much pain here, so it's so painful to, for me to even say this, but the brutal reality is you have one person causing so much pain to another person, and hold, holding back a person from living their life. From beginning their life and it's not so posh it and the older sibling needs to be talked to and needs to be helped through this process and if if nothing else helps I, i'm i'm not sure that one person has the right to hold back somebody else from living their life okay the next question is i got amazing information about this boy from literally every single person i asked but right before we're about to say yes one one of his teachers gave terrible information and said that he was not a Yerushalayim. What do we do? I could just answer from common sense. I would do a little more research. You know, where is this coming from? Uh, what is this teacher talking about? Can he have an open conversation with me? Is this one story that happened? Is this an ongoing pattern? What does this teacher know that nobody else knows? Is this teacher really reliable and trustworthy? Is this a story that happened many years ago and a boy stumbled and failed like I think most of us do, besides a few tzaddikim out there? So I think we just have to... It's important when you hear a piece of information. You don't have to ignore it. 
You don't have to dismiss it. Sometimes it may be an opening, maybe opening a vista to something that's important. But I don't think we should just run away from it. You know, it may turn out to be not very significant or significant. I think we just have to investigate more. I, I agree with everything Rabbi Rabbi said. It just means another round of investigation. I think it's important to add that the Achrayis, to say yes to a Shidduch is a huge Achrayis. Am I, am, I, am I sure I want to say yes? To say no to a Shidduch is an equally huge Achrayis. I think it's something to keep in mind. If so much information was positive and there's one piece of negative information, to just say, okay, negative information, gone, done, next. I don't want any negative information. That, that's an Achrayis. Just to realize that that's an Achrayis also. And I, I have seen situations where there was a negative piece of information that could not be corroborated. And that's really what you want to see. Is it, can I corroborate this? Can I get a second person to say something negative? And I've had situations where it could not get, they could not get a second person to say it. And it turned out to be an isolated incident, a bad year. So you, ha- you just have to be careful. Okay. We have a few more general questions and it gets into much more uh, deeper stuff and there's, few, there's, quite a, there's quite a few live ones, but I want to cover some of the basics before we get into the more... Uh, complex questions um this, this, this is just a general question i probably more than rabbi lamb probably more for rabbi jacobson i know in different circles is different but this question with pictures on resumes i, I spoke to a few lababishers today saying lababish is standard practice that you always send a picture but in a lot of circles it's not standard and parents want to know if if they say please send the picture or they're out. i only send a picture i'm not interested should they do it even if they hold it's wrong or not so more of a scopic question but Quite a lot of people are asking this question. Yeah, again, I I cannot uh, give a real authoritative answer because there are sensitivities in different communities. But a mother reached out to me the other day and she said she does not want a Hasidic community, a certain Hasidic community in Muncie. She does not want to send a picture of her daughter and therefore she's refusing the Shidduch. And I was just thinking to myself that even if you're against it and you have very good reasons to be against it, if you really feel that this shidduch has potential, so the question is, does it make sense that the opposition should override the potential for a good shidduch? In other words, let's say we can agree that this is a bad idea and it's really not helpful and it's not in the spirit of Yiddishkeit and it's not in the spirit of our Messiah, which certainly a significant amount of people feel that way, whether right or wrong. The question is, in reality... If this is an opportunity coming up and this is what they want, I'm not sure that it makes sense really to stand strong by your principles because maybe in this case it's good to compromise for the result may be uh, tremendously positive. That's just my personal uh, opinion. You have to always know what to fight for till the bitter end and what to compromise on, which is generally a good idea in life. Anything, or we should go to the next one? Let's go to the next one. Okay. Good. Just go a few more, and then we're getting into some of the more difficult ones. Um, another one. This is a very general question, but a lot of people are asking this, starting also new, new people. When doing research for my child, what would you say are the most important qualities to look for from a boy to a girl, from a girl to a boy? Rabbi Lam. What are the most important qualities? Uh, the, the, my hesitation is, we, I don't, you know, Shaduchim is not a checklist and people, you know, the, the, if all the, ch- if all the checks are there, 
Then so right, let's go back. Let me just go back one more step. Yeah. Somebody's first child, his first son, or his first daughter, completely nuked this. What? What? What am I looking for? I'm looking. She's pretty. She's rich. What? Midos. What does it mean? Okay. So, so obviously, I mean, if we went down the checklist, midos taivos, empathy, flexibility, simchas right? That's 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 the list. Um, I'm not not coming up with all the all the words, but but you get the idea. And, and that's I mean I'm not making fun of it. That's a very important thing. You're listening for simchas You're listening for flexibility. You're listening for obviously you're listening for mental health. You're listening for 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 really good midas, a giving person, a person with empathy. Above all that, I think we're also listening to just listen. I think finding information is not about going down a checklist. Finding information is seeing how people talk about this person. Get a sense. You call in 10 people. I, I, I sometimes think people ask, there's, there's a lot of questions being asked, and you want you get, what's the answer to this question? What's the answer to this question? It's not just the answer to the question. It's how the question is answered. Is there an enthusiasm in the answer? When you ask a question and you get an answer, do you get just the answer? Or do you get a, a bunch of more things? Like, is, is she a kind person? Yes, she's a kind person, period. Or, no, no, she's a kind person. And, and, and last week, you wouldn't believe what she did last week. And when I was in seminary with her, and get a sense if information is being offered that you didn't necessarily ask a question for. You're trying to get the general avira of how people feel about this person, not just the checklist of information. The checklist is important. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not belittling the checklist. If I came across as I'm making fun of it at the beginning, I didn't mean to do that. It's just so much attention is, is, is put on that, that we forget to just stand back and say, well, what, what are people, do people like this person? What is this? What is the general gut feel that I'm getting as I ask people about information about this person? Why? Agreed. I mean, I would just say, I think, you know, based on my Shazev's opening remarks, I think it's important going out. What I'm looking for is, am I going to find the person and I'm going to get to know her or him completely? Obviously not. Somebody once said it takes a quarter of a century to begin knowing your spouse. And in some cases, maybe it takes a half a century. But I think it is important to ask myself or ask yourself this question, is this the person? whom I can have a disagreement with, who I want to have a disagreement with. Is this a person who could compromise? Is this a person who is rigid, self-centered, narcissistic? Is this a person who's obsessive, extremely insecure? You want to make sure that you're dealing with a healthy person. And you're dealing with a person that when there are disagreements, when there is crises, when there are challenges, this is a person who's going to stand by you and with you. It's important you want to be with a person who's not going to be perfect, but you want to make sure that this is a person who's going to be accountable. We're not looking for perfection, we're looking for accountability. This is a person who's going to be present. This is a person, as Rabbi Shazev said, who's empathetic, who will listen to you. Obviously, midas toivis, kindness is so important. Yerushamayim, Yerushamayim means you share values, there are authentic values what type of home you want to build, what type of family you want to create, what type of ambiance you want to live in. What are you both ready to fight for, sacrifice for? What are your real values? You want to share that as well. And then, of course, there is the very individual thing 
where really every person ultimately knows what gets their soul excited. And that's very unique. In the Gemara's terminology, it's, you know, why did you choose your spouse? You'll say, well, my spouse is an unbelievable person. There are other unbelievable people. My spouse is also unbelievable. And the real answer is, it's something that you can't articulate. It's called the baskal. Because my neshama heard the baskal. Your neshama heard a different baskal. So that's, we have to respect that. That there's something that makes one soul sing in a way that doesn't make another soul sing. And conversely. Beautiful. I have a few more basics, but let's take a live question now. And then we'll get to that, and then we'll get into the cross. You're on. Yeah, hi. Um, what does someone do when the mother is taking care of the shaduchim? That's the choice between the parents. And the husband, the father, still wants to know what's going on. And since the child is confiding in the mother, there's like this barrier that the child isn't revealing to the father. It doesn't mean that there's no not necessarily good relationship, bad relationship, but it's, since it's shaduchim, the, the child is not revealing. So the, the, the father, in this case, feels out of the loop. I, I would be wondering, I mean, the first question I was asked is, what's happening between the mother and the father? Right. <laughs> this information is not being shared. The child does not, if the child feels more comfortable talking to one parent than another, that's fine. But if the mother and father are not feeling comfortable talking to each other, that's, that's, that's where I would focus the, the, the question. And then that, that's really what would need to happen. Mother and father should be talking about this fully, openly, and that, that's really where, where, the, where the... Unless their marriage is on the rocks. And then they should come see you. A, qual- a qualifier is that the parents are talking, but the, the father, although the mother's handling it just because of logistics or what we want to call it, the father still wants to know what's going on. So what's the best approach for the father to the that- child Mother and father need to sit down for a couple of hours and schmooze it through, maybe every day. There needs to be an ongoing conversation. Which which parent the child speaks to should have no shouldn't play any role in the mother father conversation. It's it's okay. How do how do we how do we help our kids with rejection? They're going out two three times and Bar Hashem. They're happy. They're excited and they're looking forward. This is the Geshmaka Ruach and the Avir, and then boom. The first thing is we create space for the emotions around rejection. It's painful. It's painful. And sometimes we're going to cry ourselves to sleep, and the pillowcase is going to be as wet as the Negelwasser schissel. And that's normal, especially. If the dating continued six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven times, he said no or she said no, or they both said no, there is pain and we have to be able to talk about it and we have to be able to cry about it and then we have to be able to giggle about it. That's number one. And number two, from that conversation, if we're honest, we'll, there will emerge a deeper truth. And that is, you know, a fellow once called me, a bocher, he was in the middle of dating. And he tells me, he says, we dated, I don't know, 12 times, 13 times. She's a wonderful girl, but I don't want to marry her. But I cannot tell her no, because I don't want to break her heart. 
So I said, so what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to continue dating. I said, that's brilliant of you. You're going to continue dating. You'll date for another two years. And then you're going to say no. So instead of her crying for three months, she'll cry for two years. That is empathetic. In other words, ultimately, what does rejection really mean? Rejection really means that God saved you from a shidduch with somebody who's not crazy about you. So yes, it's painful. But let's go one step deeper. Rejection is the greatest kindness. You wanted to get married and then a year later figure out that your husband is not interested in you. Thank God it's coming out right now to the fore. Now it's hard, it's difficult, it's part of the journey of life, growing up, maturing, understanding that not everybody was made for everybody. Right? V'davak bi'ishtoi, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, on chaz v'loi be'etches chaveira. This is ishtoi. Not everybody is made. So we acknowledge the pain, we feel the pain, and then from that we realize that actually this is the very journey of life. I have to know that I am a person and I'm searching for my soulmate. And obviously this is not the right person. I just want to, I just want to add to that, that that using the word rejection doesn't really capture what's happening over here. Um because I don't think people sometimes don't realize the pain, the enormity of the pain. Rejection is I'm a salesman and I knock on somebody's door and they slam the door in my face. When somebody is dating seven or eight times, the reason why we don't realize the intensity of what happened is because there was nothing there. There was nothing that was created. There's no, if somebody's married and then gets divorced, okay, we understand there was something there and it was lost. But there was something there. When somebody is dating five, six, seven, eight times, there's dreams. There's, there's, there's a whole world that they've built in their mind, and now that world is lost. So the, the proper word is not rejection. The proper word is grief. And, and to really help the, your child through this, you really need to, it's, 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 it's real. You really need to help them through grief. I mean, I've, 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 I've walked with people through this process, and it's, it's like somebody died. It's almost, it's almost at that level because there's a whole dream that in their mind, they already planned out the next 50 years of their life and now it's lost. And it's, it's real, it's grief counseling when you, when you work with somebody who went through that and the parents need to know, understand this could be what my child is going through. Okay. Here we go. Starts getting very, uh, levitic. Whoever wants to ask, answer first, answer first. Um, maybe Rabbi Lamb should go first for this one. I have a child in Shaduchim now who is not it didn't who is not going who's not going about things the way the rest of my children did. A little bit more modern than the rest of our family, you know, based on where they are. He's a great boy, we're very close to him, yet now it comes time for Shaduchim, he's looking for girls and things that we don't approve of and we're not used to. How do we go about supporting him and being there for him when he's dating somebody that we would never say yes to? So as parents, we think that Shaduchim is a journey for our children. We're helping our children go off on a journey. Um, the truth is, Shaduchim is a journey for ourselves as parents. And there's, a, there's so much introspection. There's so much that we as parents have to w- talk to ourselves and work with ourselves when we let our children off, when we, when we help our children into Shaduchim. There's a shift that has to happen as part of that journey of a parent. There's a shift that needs, uh, that needs to happen when we, we take our children into Shaduchim. 
That shift is up until the age of 18, 19 years old, as a parent, I'm taking my values, my she'ifas, my my whole hashkafas hachaim, and imposing it on my child. That's what I'm doing. And no, nobody sits with a five year old and says, "So, tell me what are your what are your hashkafas?" Or even a ten year old, and even at fifteen, we we try to push as much as we can, you know. But but there's and I'm I'm not getting into the the chinuch aspect of it of how much should we push on a fifteen year old or not. But but we do. The mitzvah says we do. We want our children to be like us, and that's 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 what we are as parents. When it, as soon as we enter, our children enter in Shaduchim, we as parents have to make a shift. We have to, if we if we're going to be there for our children, because at that point, up until now, it was about what I want for this child. It's what I want for this child. What I want for this my shifus, my values, my hadracha. Now it's about what this child is going to want, what this child wants for themselves, because they are going to have to live with this person for the rest of their life, not me. And if I can't read a shidduch to my child, that's that's something that they want. And it, we're talking about the, the child is 20, 21, 22. The chinuch days are over. It's sad. And as a parent, we may have a lot of internal work to do. We may have a lot of grief work to do. We may have a lot of crying to do. We, there's a lot of stuff that we may have to go through. To tell, I'm saying this without, like, I'm not saying to a parent, come on, just get over it, and this is what your child wants and move on. No, no, as a parent, this is extremely, extremely painful. But it's part of our journey as a parent. This, this child wants something different than I do. How am I going to help this child? If I let go of that responsibility, and I've seen parents do this, you know, I can't, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not rating such a shidduch to this child. The child's going to find the shidduch on their own. That's that's not the outcome you want. So, I guess the answer is you need to go on your own internal journey and and see how you can help your child. The next level. What's if the they don't have open communication? The child and the parents and the child is basically doing things on their own, where they're trying to find shaduchim, and the parent feels that they need to be involved. The child's going rogue. There's part of why the child's going rogue may be because the parents, and I'm not, I don't want to say this with any judgment on the parents because every situation is different, but it might be, and this is something for parents to, to, to look at themselves in and, and, to, and to question themselves and maybe speak to the child's therapist slash Rebbe or whoever, whoever is involved in the child. Is there something that I can do? It was something that I'm not doing that's causing the child not to confide in me. Maybe the child is not confiding because I haven't done this internal work and I'm not making room for my child. But if all else fails, I think the best thing we can do as a parent is to help them find somebody that 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 can work with them. If there's a Rebbe that this child finds, if there's a therapist that this child confides in, if there's a Rav that this child can confide in, but to, to work behind the scenes, if my child is, that's it, they, they don't trust me, they don't want to talk to me, they, they've gone rogue, don't relinquish your responsibility as a parent. Maybe you need to be, be a parent from a distance and, and just help help find somebody who could guide them. Okay, let's get to the next question. The next question is a powerful one. I, I don't know who wants to answer this first, but uh, here we go. 
My daughter's about to get engaged. I just found out from a close friend of his, from her, that this boy from the age of 16 to 18 had a girlfriend. A, should that affect the shidduch? B, should I tell my daughter about it? Reb Moshezev. <laughs> this is a good therapist question. <laughs> I was you would take this one. The, the answer to both, I mean, should it affect the Shidduch? And should I tell my daughter? The, the, I mean, first of all, should it affect the Shidduch? Yes, it should affect the Shidduch. But that doesn't mean that you nix the Shidduch because of this. Should I tell my daughter? Absolutely yes. That, that's, that's, the first question is yes, dot, dot, dot. You know, the first, you know, yes, it affects the Shidduch, and now let's see what to do. The second question, should I tell my daughter? Yes, period. She needs to know. This is this is this is her this is her shidduch this is her life this is part, she has to she has to be part of this decision. Now, in terms of should it affect the shidduch, what does it mean? I don't know. It can mean a lot of different things. It it really means a lot of questioning that has to go on. What happened between sixteen and eighteen? That he was hanging out with girls. I had a girlfriend from sixteen to eighteen. Can mean many different things. And what happened to him since he was eighteen? I would also want to know. I mean, there's a lot of open pieces on this. On this, uh, this question: Is the boy 21 or is he 25? Let's, let, let's assume he's 25. Let's go down that route. He's 25. He's, he had a few, a year or two that he was, he was, he was a troubled teen, but now he's a good boy. Right. So, so the, the the reason why your daughter needs to know is because she needs to be comfortable with this. Even let's say 16 to 18, he had these troubled years, and you've done. So now, you, really, what it means is it means you have to do a lot more research. Like, what happened? It doesn't mean no. It means you need to do a lot more research. And what happened then? And what's been going on since then? Even if, from the age of 18 to the age of 25, he became an enormous tzaddik, and there's really nothing lasting from that, your daughter still needs to know. Just, is she comfortable with it? There's a comfortability piece that's, that's, that she just has a right to know that. If you as a parent know that, your daughter has a right to know that. But if the if the boy is 25, chances are, he, you know, that there's, if, if everything else, we're talking about a late stage in the Shidduch, or I forgot what the question was, is, is she engaged, or it's a late stage, said they're about to get engaged. About to get engaged. Obviously, there's a lot of really, really good qualities about this boy. And we don't necessarily know when, when, when somebody gets engaged, we don't necessarily know all the avarice that have gone on in their life up until that point. Um, I, I've been involved in, in many shyless, you know, people who have come to me for therapy when they were 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. And then when they were 23, 24, 25, ask the shyless whether they have to divulge certain information. And very, very often the psaac goes along the lines of, and the, and the Rav will call me up and say, what's happening, you know, is what happened affecting what, what affecting who this person is now? Very often the answer is yes, and very often the answer is no. And that's really what you want to know. The fact that he had a girlfriend from 16 to 18 may mean that it may have nothing to do with who he is now. If anything, it may mean he's a better person right now because he's really, really worked on himself and he's, he's, he's he turned himself around. So you and your daughter have to be involved in that decision. Royal, you want to add on to this? Okay. 
Now let's go into another topic over here. Very interesting one. My son in his, is in his high 20s and has been dating for a while. An extremely picky person and expects perfection or very close to it from his future spouse. How do I explain to him that marriage and people are just not perfect? <laughs> Somebody asked me this question today live. Okay. So I think it's extremely important if you have open communication with your child, I think that is a great blessing. And this is the opportunity to really have a frank, intimate, vulnerable, and open conversation about it because this is so important in life. We all know that there's no spouse who is perfect because you're not perfect either. And uh, life is not about seeking perfection, but it's really about really having the ability to connect to a person despite and with their imperfections. And the more we can bring our imperfections into the Shidduch, the more powerful the marriage is. Because really, it's the weakest links in a marriage when they're brought into the relationship that become the strongest links in a marriage. Meaning, if I can only speak with my spouse about those things that I'm proud of, that I put on my resume, our relationship is pretty weak. It's when I can bring into the relationship my weaknesses, my embarrassments, my insecurities, my fears my disappointments, my scars, my wounds, my pain, my anxiety, my vulnerable parts, my skeletons. That is what makes a marriage so powerful. Because remember the principle. Those things, those elements in your life that potentially cause you to drift away from your partner, if you harness them into the relationship they become the strongest point of the relationship. Let's say I have an insecurity or I have a trauma that naturally, instinctively could make me drift away from my spouse and I can bring that into the relationship. Talk about it. Get support for it. There is empathy. There's understanding. Then that very weakness becomes the deepest catalyst and springboard for the most powerful relationship. If you want the phraseology of Gemara, it's what Rish Lakish said in Masechta Yuma, Daf that when you do tshuva out of love, your sins become mitzvahs. Those very acts that distanced you from Hashem become those acts that bring you closest to Hashem. That's what life is about. That's what friendship is about. That's what marriage is about. And therefore, I think this is the type of communication we want to have with our children. You're not looking for the perfect person. There's no such a thing. There's no perfect person. Those who are perfect don't come down to this world. They're angels. You don't want to marry an angel. Often when I do chuppas, when I do marriages, here's a little uh, secrets from behind the curtains. So the glass gets broken. And we say, mazel tov. Mazel tov. So I take the mic and I say, what's the mazel tov? This glass cost $15. Why are you saying mazel tov? On the breaking of the glass, we're remembering Yerushalayim, the base. What's the Mazel Tov? So I'll tell you. The Mazel Tov is this. You know, the Kala is standing under the Chuppah. She's looking at her Chassan. He looks perfect, impeccable, flawless. But we tell her, listen, my dear Kala, sooner or later, this guy is going to start breaking things. And you know what you do when your husband starts breaking things? You have to be able to say Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. 
Thank God I'm not married to an angel. I'm married to a real person who has ups and downs and we can hold each other's hands and grow together. This is what you want to communicate to your children because this is what real life is and this is the joy and excitement of life. Taking our imperfections, taking our vulnerabilities and mobilizing them and harnessing them and allowing those very weaknesses to become a springboard for our deepest connection and loyalty. Wait, wait. We have a live question. Before we take the live question, I was just thinking when we asked the question before about one of the, the most important qualities you would look for in a shidduch. Somebody once told me a joke. If you could pick two of the three qualities in a shidduch, what would you pick? It could be mental health, beauty, or money. You could pick two of the three. What would you choose? Rabbi Lamb. He said he would take a double dose of mental health. Okay, let's go to the live question. You're on. Okay, so coming to the practical part, first of all, I'm enjoying very much. Everything is so important. But it's a time of MS, and when everyday life happens, it, 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 this is what's going to happen. How, when is the right time, and how do we approach Parnassa? Um, I'm very sensitive to this because I became a widow, and I have sons approaching this age, and how do I best approach the situation of Parnassa? Is this a question for the for your child? Um, I'm afraid of you know being asked as the other parent is going to come. Oh, 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 oh! You know, like when when do we talk about this? Oh, you mean how much money you're going to be giving to the couple? <laughs> I just don't know how to approach this. Well, if the basis of the relationship is money, then we have a real problem. Exactly. But I don't think money should be the basis of marriage. I mean, if I could tell somebody, you can get this, a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law who comes one of the richest families in Lakewood or Muncie or Williamsburg or Toronto or Chicago, right? Or B'nai Brak, okay? They're worth $650 million on a bad day. Okay, you have nothing to worry about the bris, the shalom zacher, the chasen, the vachnacht, kailul for life. You could be in kailul for 230 years in the mirror. But the guy is obnoxious, rude, self-centered, right? Meshuga. Or you can get somebody who barely has anything, but they're menschlich. You know, what are you going to choose? So money is great. And if somebody has money, amazing and enjoy the money. But I think if money becomes the basis of a marriage, it's, it's ludicrous. I don't see any sane parent who would turn that into the most important priority of a marriage. It's one, again, it's one, I, I, we all want money and money is important and we all want to support ourselves nicely, but we have to prioritize. No, 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 I didn't mean on that sense. And I just, first of all, it's in Hashem's hand, Parnassah, of course. But uh, just um, to, to be practical, it's like, what, what would you be doing? How are you, how's, are you ready to support? Yes, I, I think it's important to be normal and practical, to do what is, you know, accepted. You don't want to make the chassan or kala feel that because they come maybe not from a rich family, they can't get what other people get. But on the other hand, there's no need to be ostentatious and to follow and, and to copy other people. You know, it's important. We live in a time of integrity, of truth. This Zoom session that Usher and Menachem started, yeah? Usher told me it started Lakewood Sunday nights. People started to talk on these forums in ways that they didn't speak about for years. Everything was under the rugs. I think here too, 
We have to stop with the social conformity and copying other people and making yourself miserable and borrowing money for no reason. I see people investing money in an event that's going to go on for two and a half hours. Most people who come are not even interested in coming there. For what? For when? Stop living an external life. Stop living lives for other people. You want to do things that are meaningful, that are inspiring, that mean something to the groom and the bride. I think it's important to change our mindset. You know, if there's anything, if there's anything authentic about Judaism, it's about the need to be authentic, the need to be real, and not stop conforming and just mimicking others so that we in our own imagination can feel that we fit in. It's ridiculous what people do to themselves and their children because of that. So yes, be normal, be balanced, but don't worry so much about other people's opinions and perspectives. It's important that the groom and the bride should should be celebrating this day in, 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 in a meaningful way. And sometimes that could mean something very different than what, than what, than what other people do. I recently spoke to a uh, bride, someone from my community, and she told me that what she really wants is a very, very small private event with people who really, really want to be there, and that's going to make her happy. So why are the parents spending so much money? For their own neighbors. They're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for their children. You know, so it's very important to realize where needs are coming from and how real they are. We have another live question, Rabbi. Uh, we have so I want to jump into financial because you brought it up. We have so many questions on that. Let's take a live question. You're on. Hi, uh, Rabbi Jacobson, and uh, I just want to. It's an amazing show. Thank you, uh, Rashi, for arranging it. Um, I think this is a question that uh, many uh, many people on the show want to ask. Um, this is a crisis. I don't like to use the word crisis, um, but what can we do? Um, to make it easier for boys and girls to go out on dates, to be set up. Um, it seems like many people have thought of this um, and haven't kind of come up with a new idea. What, what do you both um, suggest or, or what, what can we do to make it easier, especially for girls to get dates? Thank you, Rabbi Lamb. I'm just a therapist. I don't... <laughs> yeah, the, what the question is really asking... Is that what can we do with the shidduch system? I I can come up with a lot of questions. When I say I'm just a therapist, I, here's what I mean. I, I, I didn't mean it just as a joke. I can come up with a lot of different ideas about where the flaws are in the shidduch system and where we can improve the shidduch system. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that I think would be great to to institutionalize. Um, I'm not going to say them here because this. Some of these ideas would be radical, and there there would be a, so much pushback that it wouldn't work. I'll, I'll give one example of something I, I've thought of a lot. I, it's done for older singles. <laughs> uh, it's not done enough, but there there are there are meetings that happen. It's done it's done it's done a lot for divorcees. It's not done enough, but there, there, there are meetings that take place that you have ten boys and ten girls coming together, there's a few shatchanim there, and they do, it by the, they do it by the older single, they do a lot. They do it by older single, I, I know it's done by divorcees, I, I, I don't know what's that. It, it, the, things like that, but maybe the age could be moved down, maybe the age could be moved to 25 or 24, 
these are things that have been talked about. They're out there. They, they, but it's it needs either either a grassroots movement or a top down. Uh, you know, to, to it's interesting. Way. It's interesting, Doctor Lamb, that I personally. I didn't know you were going to go there, but I didn't want to suggest it. I personally had a meet, two meetings this week with some Askanim in Lakewood. Um, and this is one of the things that we came up with. And we are working on it. And yes, we're going to have to go to some higher ups. And there's going to be pushback. But I think there's so many parents and so many people that want this and that need this that, you know, you get to a point where, you know, why continue in something that's not working? Like you said, a system that's not working. And we have girls, you know, at home for, for two, three, four years without a single day. I personally know people. So, I mean, it, it, it makes no sense not to change the system. And, um, and we're working on it. I, you know, it's, uh, there's going to be pushback, but we're trying. Actually, this week, we, we, I, you know, I met with a couple of people. There are just uh, on that type of, the reason why that type of system can work with a traditional shidduch system does not work is that so much... So many shidduchim get nixed because of a piece of information. That once you get to know that person, that piece of information becomes irrelevant. There are there are pieces of information that if you find out that information after the fourth day, it's like ah, it's no big deal. It's such a nice guy or such a nice girl. But if you find out before the first, before they meet, it's it, it knocks off the shidduch. So you have people that are out there that are not getting dates because there's one piece of information, and. If, in a system like the one we're describing, they get to meet first, and then the information happens. Yeah. So that's one. Of, that would be one of the advantages of that. I would also add. Huh? I would just also add, in addition to what you just said, Rabbi Shazef, and you just said, our dear guest. I think it's very important for parents, and leaders, and 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 lay people to really create grassroots initiatives. There are people here, we have hundreds and hundreds of people here, maybe close to a thousand people, I don't know, we have couples, more than one. I'm sure some of you have great ideas. Don't keep them to yourself. This is a grassroots generation. We can accomplish a tremendous amount. Simple people, so to speak, who are not great rabbis and poiskim and manhigan. Every person is a leader today. Take initiative. Get together with your friends you can create a plan. And even if you help 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, helping one soul is already helping the world. So I'm encouraging everybody. I'm sure we have some great ideas. Instead of just sharing it with your spouse at supper and getting frustrated at the system, right? I always tell my students, in life, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So I tell all of you, let's not be part of the problem. Let's be part of the solution. You have an idea, whatever the idea, maybe some people think it's an outrageous idea. They don't have to do it, but create it, get it out there, start something, and you'll see great miracles happen that way. Remember that unbelievable lesson, the lesson that affects all of history. There was a little kid in a little basket in the Nile Delta, either he would drown or starve or be dehydrated And a princess comes out and she cannot reach him. He's too far in the sea. And what does she do? She stretches out her arm. That's what life is about. You stretch out. You know what happens when you stretch out your arm? You all know the Gemara in Saita. You all learned it in school. You discover that you have an invisible arm. 
that God extends your arm beyond your reach. And little Moshe is saved, and that's why we're all here today. I say to all of you, you don't have to solve the problem, but stretch out your arm. You have an idea, take initiative, discuss it, explore it, do something about it, even if you consider yourself a small and insignificant person. That's how things happen. I'll just give one little suggestion. Somebody was in my house, an older boy. He's in his 30s. He dated probably 50 girls. He's a good boy, yeshiva boy from a community here in Muncie, near Muncie. And he told me that in his community, this is what they started to do. He said they started to create a database, a website you can register, and everybody in the community is putting all their information there. And that way, he says, Shatchanam sometimes are clueless. This is what he told me. They're biased. They don't get it. They have agendas. They decide who's good for whom. He said, we put all the information on a database, and you get to put whatever you want, to see whatever you want. And that way, there's like an open field, an open terrain, where people can look, can examine, can investigate. There's telephone numbers. You can call a friend or a relative to make a direct call. It was just a very, very interesting initiative. And, I, and he told me that it's, it's, you know, he has a lot of uh, friends who have found their shidduchim that way. So these are things that are completely not against halacha. They're completely in the realm of, of, of tzniyas, of modesty, of respect. And yet, they can be very helpful. Let's think out of the box. Okay, Rabbi Lawai, there's uh, a bunch of topics here we didn't cover yet that I really want to cover a lot more ground. Rabbi Lamb, you ready? Let's do a little financial because she brought it up. Um, I have questions. Let's do both both versions. The issue I'm finding is when my son is being read a shidduch from a very poor family, even though I know they're amazing people and the girl is a great girl as well, I'm feeling, I feel like saying no. For two reasons. A, because the wedding expenses will be a big problem and fall on my head. B, I prefer my son marry someone with a little bit more financial stability so it doesn't all fall on us or the young couple. What I say to you is, you know, obviously it's a personal question, but the bottom line is this. Marrying somebody with money is certainly nice, not only for the wedding expenses, for the continuation of life, but I think in the priorities, if you find somebody who can be an amazing soulmate for your son or for your daughter, in my mind, I would embrace that enthusiastically. If there is money, wonderful. To make that the issue, whether to say yes or no, in my mind, I would be very cautious about it. Maybe, you know, your daughter is 18 or 19 and you think you still have a lot, a lot of choices and a lot, a lot of options, so you have the luxury to choose. Okay, I understand that notion. But generally speaking, if you have a person who's a real, real quality person, a real mensch, and your, your son or daughter, is, you feel, is going to be able to have a really meaningful, inspiring, loving, and tremendously uh, uplifting life with this person, I would be very, very cautious to reject it just because, uh, just because it's a poor family. That's my opinion. Okay, the next financial question. Our family is one of the more wealthy families in our circles. Baruch Hashem. I feel that almost everyone says yes to us, but not based on my child for who he, who he or she is, yeah. but rather because they want to have the financial backing. As we are starting our second shidduch, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, 
sometimes it's sad, but sometimes, I mean, that's part of human nature. We smell money and we get very excited. I once said, the, the Pasuk says, Eved malve. A borrower is a slave to a man who lends. So somebody once asked me, it should have said, Eved malve. Why Eved malve? The answer is simple. The borrower is not a slave to the lender. That makes sense. He's a slave to the man who knows how to lend. Even if I never got a penny from you, the fact that I come in and I see you're sitting at the head table, I'm already feeling subservient. That's the falsehood of life. Even though behind the money, you know, there may not be much substance there. So I think it's so important to be able to know that people are that way and it's your responsibility to search for the right person for your son and daughter, somebody who's going to marry them, not for the money. There are such people, you'll be surprised, but there are a few such people in the world who actually, we care about money, we all cherish money, but some things are more important than money and, and that's what you want to search for. You have to search for it. And I don't think you should think that everybody, you know, one of the problems, I have a wealthy friend, so he once told me, I don't trust anybody. Whoever tells me good Shabbos, I believe they're telling me good Shabbos because I have money. So I said, you know what? It's not only about them, it's also about you. You think that your whole identity is money, and therefore you think everybody thinks your whole identity is money, but there are people who are not that way. Yes, you should be cautious. Not everybody who smiles to you is your best friend. But don't think that everyone is so consumed by your money like you're consumed by your money. We're not all completely drunk on your money. Just just remember that too, you know? <laughs> Another live question. You're up. Hey, thanks. So um, thank you very much. I'm new to this first time. So I'm wondering as far as doing research, I know, of course, the questions have to be based off of what are the priorities to my child? And I definitely try to get the general feeling, as uh, um, Rabbi Lam was saying, about the Avi Rab. But uh, it would also be helpful to have a basic framework to use to go through asking questions in like a systematic way after asking open-ended questions, as some people don't answer so much. They ask for specific questions. I'm wondering if there's like a list I can work off of or something I do tend to freeze up when I need to call to do research. You could hire Rabbi Lamb as your personal uh, checklist guy. You do that as a side service, right? I think yeah. You said you freeze up when you make that phone call. How about making a list? Sit down and really make a list and keep in mind everything we've been talking about. Keep in mind the open-ended questions. I think one of the things you want to keep in mind is not there's not just a rule book of questions, but who is your child? If you have a son in, in Shaduchim, what do you want to know when you make this list, what do you want to know about this person vis-a-vis your son in terms of their personality? If your son loves certain kinds of conversation, if he loves certain kinds of activities, if he loves, you want to gear your conversation. If you know your son has a certain type of personality, you want to gear your questions towards who your child is. But I, I would suggest sitting, sitting down and making that list. That, that's, I don't know of any structured list. That, that, that would probably be a good idea. Right. I'm saying to, to like work off of, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I was wondering. If there's some, some kind of generalist that I can then tweak and then obviously personalize for my child. I would Google it. I don't, I don't know. There must be something out there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's get into a little bit of mental health. It's a very big topic. I, I know, again, before we start this, this is not, this is not an answer for anybody. It's a general 
concept, so nobody should take it literally. But there's a lot of questions that come to mental health, and I really want to cover some ground. Um, we'll start with you, Rabbi Lamb, okay? okay? My son is getting read from an amazing top girl, top seminary, top of class. She's the best of the best of the best. She's currently in college to become a pharmacist. I just found out that her mother suffers from mid-level depression. Should I nix this shit up just for that? Don't we all have some issues? Is this something to be concerned about? Uh, so I, I think this, the answer to this is similar to some of the other questions we had before. Should I nix this shit up just for that? No. But should I start a whole new round of research and make sure that, and, and just see what that means. I mean, that, that her mother had a low-level depression or mid-level depression. That could mean so many different things. What was and, and the questions I would ask at that point is what impact did that have on the family? What impact did it have on the girl? What impact did, did that what does that mean, mid-level depression? Does that mean for three weeks she was depressed? Or does that mean for five years and she was on medication or hospitalized? It, it could mean so many different things. But there's another there's another point of it. There's also some genetic people are very nervous about also. What was that? Is that some you know the hereditary that you know because the parents have something? Um mid-level depression. I wouldn't worry, again, if, the, if this was something that the mother suffered, suffered lifelong depression, okay, maybe that would be a concern. If the mother was depressed for a couple of years, I don't know that I would worry about, about genetics on that. Uh, I don't know that I would worry about giving it over to the child. I, would be worried, I wouldn't be worried about the nature. I would be worried about the nurture. What impact did it have on the home? That's really where the questions should go. There are depression is one of those mental illnesses that is can so easily be circumstantial and mo- very often is. And to, to worry that a parent was depressed and therefore the child is, is going to, you know, become depressed. That's not where I would place the concern if everything else seems to be okay. Okay. Do you want to add on that? Good. Okay. That's a good question. Okay, let's go to the next question. My son wants to go out with a girl. The issue is her parents had a very messy divorce. We have a noble, stable family. Should I consider? Rabbi Waiwai. It's a good question. I think it's a good question. And, and I'll explain why it's an important question and why we have to be sensitive about it. The fact is that consciously, and sometimes unconsciously, we continue the story of our parents. And those things become ingrained in us. If I grew up in a home where the marriage was very unstable, there was a lot of fighting or just mistrust or betrayal or insulting or hatred and negativity and ended up in a very messy and ugly divorce, even if consciously I tell myself, I'm not going to live that way, but sometimes unconsciously, when I go into a relationship, that which I have learned in my youth is what I model, even if I don't want to. It's just how my neural pathways are functioning. So I say this because I think we have to be honest about it and conscious about the problem. That when I'm dating this person, when your child is dating this person, you have to know that there is an issue here. Sometimes if we come from such a family, you know, people who come from a family where there's no divorce, there's a lot of stability, when they get into their first fight and second fight and 10th fight and 20th fight with their spouse, it's like, of course we're going to work it out. My parents didn't fight, we worked it out. But the other one, it's like, 
again, consciously or unconsciously, is why am I living with this person? My mother got rid of her husband. Let me get rid of my husband. And it can create a whole different paradigm. So I think it's so important to be able to make sure that this child of the messy divorce really worked it out inside of themselves to the best of their ability to really create a different type of life for themselves. I just thought, I mean, in the, in the question, you said we come from a very healthy, stable family. In these questions in general, when, when we're, I said before that, that we're looking, it's a journey for ourselves as parents. Who, who I am plays a vital role in many of these questions, especially the mental health questions. When I'm looking at problems in other families and I'm going into Shaduch, I need to look at how, what people are saying about me and my family. It's just an important, it's another piece in the puzzle that has to be put out there. I also want to add that I know many couples who come from, both both spouses come from homes where there were very, very dysfunctional, broken marriages, very messy divorces. I, I, I could list in my head 10 different couples that I know of who come from homes where both sides had extremely difficult marriages and they have beautiful marriages. It, I just want to put, put that into the picture. It could be done. All these things, there's definitely reason for caution. There's definitely reason for asking a whole bunch more questions. There's definitely reason for reset, but, but it's not something like the, the term, should we just nix the shit up? It's, it's something to look into if everything else seems to be okay. I want to ask Rabbi Wai's opinion because I think Rabbi Lab might have some bias to this. But some people are texting, what, what, is, what does the rabbi think about premarital therapy? Uh, Mr. Lamb has shared with me in previous occasions that he wishes every chassan and kala would come for premarital therapy. And even if they don't want to do it when they're engaged, but at least right after they get married. Uh, and he told me, you know, he said that there was, I mean, he could share the story himself. There was a chassan and kala, they were married and they were getting into these disagreements and they came for therapy. And it, w- it took one session. It took one session. And maybe you want to share that story. What happens with most couples is they wait 10 years. And after 10 years, it's not the original problem anymore. It's another 1.1 billion problems that have compounded over these 10 years. So uh, maybe you want to share that story. I think it's... it's That's an important point. It, it's not premarital therapy. It's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually not that big of a fan of premarital therapy. Because I find that I, I've done it a lot, and I find so many of the things that we talk about in premarital therapy go in one ear and come out the other. They're they're not in that place where they could hear that this is going to be a problem. I would be more of a fan of if, if I if I could design the, the the marriage structure, I would say two to three months after the wedding, every single couple should come in and sit down and talk with a therapist. Every <laughs> single couple, like that, should be the, the the standard routine, not premarital, but two three months later when 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 the therapist starts saying when, you know, they know exactly what the therapist is talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, but the, the, the case that Rabbi Jacobson is, is referring to is when, when couples come in two, three months after the wedding and there's a major problem, you could li- sometimes you could fix it in one session because it's, oh, oh, okay. Oh, so we just have to do this and do that. 20 years later, it's, it's a whole different story because 
problems have piled up upon problems. The only time I've had situations where I was able to solve something in one or two sessions was like a month or two after the way. Beyond that, it doesn't work. Okay, okay. one more question. Let me jump into one more question, a little bit more sensitive uh, on mental health. And again, this is a question, let's globalize it, but it's a very important question. My daughter is a regular from stable girl. She's being read a guy who's also great from Stolen Yeshiva, nice family. One small caveat. He was on anti-anxiety medication for a while when he was 15 years old because he was going through a hard time. That's something that I should really say no to for Shadduf because he himself was on the medication. I should have. I... <laughs> no, you should not say no. But I think your daughter should have a conversation with him about it. And maybe you should do a little bit more research about what he was going through. But a 15-year-old being on anti-anxiety could be so many different things. It could be serious. It could be there was something really major there. Or it could be an over-eager psychiatrist. You know, it's there's really you really want to research that good. I wouldn't throw away a good boy because of being on anti-anxiety medication at 15. I wouldn't. I, I, but I would, but again, like so many of the other questions we asked, it's something to research, it's something to ask questions about. Okay, I think we'll do another one or two questions. Is that okay? Then we'll go to closing. Sorry, I had... Yes, actually, one of the reasons the shear started, if you remember, the person that reached out to us originally was about Shuva. And he had a very hard time in the Shidduch world. Maybe Rabbi Wawa could uh, emphasize this a little better. Basically, somebody wrote in the question that I'm about Shuvah for about, about five years ago. I don't have any from family or really people to guide me. Can the rabbi please address this issue? Any ideas or tips would be very much appreciated. I feel like I'm going through this dating in this circle by myself. Yes. It's a very important question. I also want to say, Reb Usher, I see on the chat a Shatchan posted for the woman who asked the question before, a list of like 15 questions to ask. So you could... I told her, I told her to email. I'm going to put them in touch. Yes, there are lists. Okay. Somebody else also posted a very good idea. Just I'm putting it out there because there's hundreds of people listening. That Darius Sharm should take an intake of every person that does their blood test of basic information. So there could be a massive database of, sh- of sh- Shadduchim. It's a very interesting concept. Sorry. Back to the Balchuva question. Right. So the Balchuva is in a vulnerable space. Because the Baal Tshuva, whether it's a he or a she, you know, you didn't grow up in the community, you don't have that large extended family, you don't have the protectia, you don't have all those connections, you don't know the ins and the outs, and you also want to make sure you're doing the right thing. There's also the social conformity pressure. And all of this really could create a difficult and sometimes a toxic situation. So I'm going to say three simple pieces of advice. First of all, you have to have a good and honest support system. You have to have one, two, three, four, five people who you trust, whether it's, it's, it's women, men, uh, friends, colleagues, a rabbi, a rebetzin, a mashpia, a mentor, a therapist, but a few people who know the community, whom you can trust, who you can be vulnerable with, who you can get good feedback from. That's so, so important. Number two, don't belittle yourself. <laughs> you're a Baal 
You are a courageous soul. You have a lot of resilience. You have a lot of integrity. You have made a lot of sacrifices for truth, for God, for Judaism. Respect that in yourself. You have a lot of common sense, probably. Respect that in yourself. In other words, don't fall prey to the comment of every single person. In other words, make sure things resonate. Don't just, you know, try to copy everybody else because this is what everybody else does. It's important for you to be to be informed, to be educated, to be true to yourself. And number three, remember that as a Baltruva, you also bring something very special into the mix. You actually teach people who are from from birth the value of fighting for Yiddishkeit, uh, what it means to fulfill that commandment of Ramavinu, So as much as you want to learn from the people in your community, the people in the community also need to learn from you and have to learn from you. And I'm not sure who has to learn more from whom. So those are, I think, important points to remember in this uh, entire process. But it's so important to be able to have a support system and to be able to get feedback and honest feedback and to be proud of yourself and not to uh, to compromise uh, because you're calling yourself a, a, a Balchova. We're all God's children, and nobody's blood is redder than anybody else's blood. Let's go to one last question. Very, 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 should have done in the beginning more, uh, but it's a very important question, and then we'll do a live, and then we'll go to closing. My son is dating someone we don't feel is right for him, or, you know, the girl's dating somebody that we think is actually very bad for them. Um... Should we tell him that he's making a big mistake and try to convince him out of it at the point they're ready, ready to get engaged? What I would say, I would love to, what I would say is it is so important, and I'm going to paraphrase President Kennedy during his inauguration address, 1961. Ask not what your child can do for you. Ask what you can do for your child. Why are you opposed to this shidduch? You have to be very honest with yourself. Sometimes people are opposed to a shidduch because sepasnished for the family. I expected my daughter needed to come from such a fa- needs the husband from this and this type of family. I'm not thinking really about my daughter or about my son. I'm thinking about myself. Of course, I blame it on God. I blame it on the religion. I blame it on Yichis. I blame it on Yerush. I blame it on everything. But the real issue is, I am spiritually smug. I am spiritually arrogant and pompous. I am not developed. I am not a worked out person. I feel that my children are a nachas machine. I want it to look good for the pictures and the shavabrachas. I want to come the day after the vart to the base medrash in the morning. I'm going to say, that's what I'm looking for. And you know what? It feels good. And if you get such a shidduch, wonderful. But ask yourself a real question. Is this what you need? Is this what your mother-in-law needs? Or is this what your child needs? Where is my opposition coming from? This may not be an easy question to answer. This takes inner work. You may have to discuss it with some objective people who are ready to challenge you and tell you the truth. On the other hand, if that position is coming from the fact that you're worried about your child, maybe you see mental illness, maybe you're observing red flags, serious red flags, maybe you're observing personality disorder, maybe you're observing serious trauma, mental disorders, maybe you're observing 
something that's maybe very toxic for your child who may be naive, innocent, uh, eager to get married, then you have a responsibility to get involved. There was a parent who told me yesterday that he had a child who was dating and he saw all the red flags, but he decided to overlook it because he wanted the shidduch to happen. And ultimately they had to get divorced because it was just, it was a very serious situation. So when you're seeing something that could be very problematic, you have a responsibility in a wise, respectful, kind and empathetic way to help your child see what is going on and and do whatever you can to uh, to make them make the right decision for their long term future. Just, just add, add to that. I agree with everything you said, but at, at, and at, in that process, you have to realize. You know, yes, you have to be there and and try to. You can't just stand back. You have to get involved if you really feel. If, if you've done the introspection, you really feel there's something wrong. But here's the but. Trying to, you say the question was, it's right before they're ready to get engaged. Should I tell my child, right? That was the question. Those are the words. Should I tell them? When I'm a child, to break it up. When a child is ready to get engaged, there's not much you can tell them. It's like trying to stand sometimes. I mean, some, sometimes depend if there's just an amazing relationship with the parent and the, and the child, and the child just trusts whatever the parent says, fine. But more often than not, it's like standing in front of a locomotive and trying to stop it like this. That, that's what you may be trying to do. So stay there and telling them may be totally ineffective and just, just going to create tremendous friction. And even if it ends up breaking up, but there's a child, the child might say, you know what, I respect my father. I'm, I'm not going to go ahead with this shidduch because my parents don't want it. So I'll break it up. You don't even know what kind of pain might come out of that, and and what the repercussions and the resentment and there's there's so there's so big of a price that they really so it's not about telling them and stopping it, it's about sitting down with your child and really really talking this through and see if you can get him to the point of seeing what you see. It might be a long conversation. It might be involving other people, but just telling them to stop it, even if you have the power to do that, even if you have the kayak to stop it. Do it. Do it with. You need to try to get them on board and get them to see it your way. Okay, let's go to the last live question. Go, you're on. How are you? Hi. Um, I have a question about mental health and dating. So, for example, let's say someone who you know, like I, I've been going to therapy for a long time, and I think therapy is very important. So I would, I would want to go out with someone or definitely marry someone that also you know has those views. But I find that you know. A lot of people are not like, oh, I don't need therapy. Like they just think like, oh, they're okay. But really they have all these things that are underlying and this and that. And then they don't even realize it. And like, I don't know, for me, it's very important. So it's like, how, how do you go about that knowing? And then, you know, you might meant if I might mention that to a shotgun or to someone who's setting me up and be like, well, oh, but he's a good boy or whatever. Like, like how, how would I go about that? Cause I mean, I didn't really start dating. Well, you need a shotgun who's also going to therapy. Yeah. Like, you know, like we should segregate. Therapy, not therapy. Different yeah, Shatchanim should also give in the resume. Do they go to therapy? Then we can deal with them. 
I'm not sure that it depends on the shatchan. <laughs> depends how, you know, who the shatchan is. But I'm not sure it's so important to phrase it that way to the shatchan. I need to date a boy who is ready to go to therapy or has been to therapy. What you do want to talk to the shatchan, say to the shatchan is that I am looking for a person with whom I can have a very honest and open relationship. Somebody who's interested in working on themselves, on their midos, exploring who they are in a very authentic way. Which basically means, let's face it, with, the, with respect to Mr. Lamb, there's no mitzvah to go to therapy. It's not like a mitzvah, we wake up in the morning, we go to yoga, Pilates, gym, Disagree. and therapy. I don't think it's one of the Ten Commandments. It is a mitzvah, it is a mitzvah to be real, to be authentic, to be introspective. Very often that can happen in an environment of therapy. Right? You may meet a boy who's his own therapist, or he has a Rebbe who's a tremendous mentor for him, or a mother, or a sister, or an uncle, or somebody else. You know, there are people whom I know, great people, their daily therapy was davening. They davened for two, I know, I knew Jews, I still know. They could daven two hours a day and talk to God like you talk to your best friend. And for them, that was the deepest form of therapy. They were real, they were authentic. So that's really the focus. I don't know, you know, yes, if it may be practically it'll end up that he went to therapy, he wants to go to therapy, but I don't, the phraseology is not so important as is the quality of what you're searching for. I think I, I would agree with everything you just said. And I think it's more of a general theme over here. These are the kind of things you don't have to talk about to the Shatkin at all. We uh, with Rabbi Waiwa says, you're looking for somebody who's real. That, then you get down to a level of detail where you, de- you define real as, let's say you want somebody, regardless of what Rabbi Waiwa says, you want somebody who went to therapy, right? That's your thing. That, nobody has to know that besides you and the boy you're dating. That's it. This is a discussion that comes out on the dating. Um. And, and nobody else, that, 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 at the level of shatchin, at the level of parents, that doesn't have to be there. That, that, those are the things that come out at the level of dating. Okay, just to mention also, there's going to be a share for girls after Pesach. So we'll see you there, Mr. Shen. It'll be a share for boys March 22nd. Okay, let's go to closing. Very powerful share tonight. Um... <laughs> okay. Huh? Somebody just texted us for the girl who just asked. Whoever's your girl, don't come back. Email Coach Menachem. Is she dating already? Not yet? You want to make a shit of now? Somebody said that she has an idea first. She should email Coach Menachem. So let's, let's look. Every, every time you come on, there's another shit of something happening one way or another. I think, I think maybe the solution to the shit crisis is we should do this a few times a week. And during these sessions, there'll be a shit and we can, uh, we can go to the chuppah pretty soon. Oh, I tried ten thousand dollars of shidduch for them. Letting you know. First of all, Adresi Ashkoyach for Rabbi Wawa Jacobson, Moshe Zev Lamb for coming on tonight, giving us. Uh, I mean, people are texting. This is such a needed cheer. I mean, people are in the parsha. We 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 touched on it. There's obviously so much more to go. And Mitzrayim will try to cover ground. Big Ashkoyach for putting it together. Rabbi Wawa, you 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 were the one who really put it together, and giving them so much inspiration, down to earth advice. And Mitzrayim again, just be repetitive. March twenty second is going to be a shir for boys, for doctors, anybody you, you know who's in the parsha going today. Was dating, please tell them to come. If you want it to be interactive, the questions will be focused for people in the, for the boys dating. I want to thank again our corporate sponsors, Klein's Ice Cream, Iron Klein, for sponsoring us. 
and for um and for Ocean Spray Breeze, my friend, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Maishi Feldman from Ocean Spray from Lakewood. I really appreciate it. And also uh, another thank you to OK Clarity. OK Clarity is an online platform for mental health support in the Jewish community. Their platform, you can find best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engage your forms, stay inspired. Menachem will email the link at the end. Again, uh, th- this coming Sunday, March 14th, we have an amazing program. Rabbi Chase Tal, Rabbi Shimon Russell from Eretz Yisrael discussing the surprising truth about the problems that we all deal with. So you have to come to really find out what that is. Try to come early. Um, everything tonight's recorded. It's going to be on menachembernfield.com and Shem Rabbi Wawa is going to upload it to theshiva.net. And everybody, you know, if you know anybody that could benefit from it, please send it. Let them watch the share. It's tremendous. Anybody has any questions? Um, a few people are texting Rabbi Lamb. Do you have an email that, pe- that people could email you or contact you? Well, I will put it on the chat right now, I guess. Put on the chat that Menachem will send out an email because some people want to contact you. If you want to contact Rabbi YY, you can look up his email. It's not, it's not a secret. And you can send him an email. He's backlogged. Tonight's share, share number 45. It's all pre-recorded. It's all recorded. And it's going to be on a phone number, 848-777-GROW. Again, a special thank you to our advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, Robbie Yanid from Kazakh, and this is Mika Sofer from COL Live, and Chayla Kauf from Shmuel from JCN. Closing words from Coach Menachem. Thank you very much, Rabbi YY and Rabbi Lamb and Rabbi Osher for controlling, for doing such a good job. <laughs> now, now with all this information, we covered a lot, and there's much more to cover. Now with all this information, we have to go out and actually live. We're living in this school of life. And when it comes to Lamaisa, these topics are really uh, raw and emotional. Your emotions, your kids' emotions. And, and sometimes you think this is, it's hard. It's for life. Who, who knows? We're not sure. But uh, many people go through a lot of different things in life and they feel they're on a roller coaster in general. And when it comes to Shaduchim, it adds, just adds a little more to their, to that roller coaster. But we need to remember that the roller coaster has tracks. We're sitting there and it's on tracks. And like we heard that when it comes to Shaduchim, usually we see it more openly that it's really not and uh, we really have to rely on Hashem. So, this, just like we dive until now, we have to continue being misfouled for, for our kids and for their spouses, the Mitzvah Shem. Amen. Shaduchim and those who need should be a Mitzvah Shem uh, easier. Amen. 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 Moshe Zavlad, you say a closing words? Uh, closing words. No, this was this was amazing. This was really amazing. Thank you. The questions were really beautiful questions. Thank you, everybody, for asking the questions. Um, there are about 30 other questions going on in my mind, so there's so much more to talk about. I think this was a great, great start. I always say we, we, we cover, we, 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 we scratched the surface. Yes, yes, but they scratched it in a very good way. This was, this was, and, and thank you so much for, really, thank you so much for having me here. It's a privilege to be part of this. Thank you. Yes. So first of all, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Reb Moshe Zev, Reb Asher, Reb Menachem. Thank you especially to everybody who joined us, all the parents, fathers and mothers, and for sharing. I also want to personally invite all of the young men, the Bachram, um, whether you're in the middle of dating, you're planning to date, you're after dating, but you're in the story of Shaduchim, Please join us Monday, March 22nd. We chose this day because most of the yeshivas already are on break for Pesach, Benazmanim. So that's March 22, Tess Nissen, 10 o'clock p.m. on this Zoom 
session. It's going to be especially for boys, not for parents. I mean, parents can listen in, but it's for boys and after Pesach for girls. I just want to conclude with this, I think, um, basic but important piece of advice to parents. And that is, to my doorstep, or I should say my email box, come an enormous amounts of marital issues. And one of the biggest, biggest painful things that I see is when somebody in the relationship is just not a mensch. There are going to be disagreements. There are going to be disputes, sometimes very serious ones. There's a certain percentage of marriages that don't work out. Even if they do work out, it comes with strife and difficulty. It is so important to do whatever we can to make sure that our daughters-in-law, our sons-in-law, are above all mention. And what do we mean by a mensch? A mensch means simply somebody who's civil, who's nice, who's kind, who has Yerushamayim. They have fear of God to do the right thing. They're not cruel. They're not sadistic. They're not barbaric. They're not malicious. Now you say even malicious people inside, they're broken. Perhaps everybody's broken inside. But it's very, very important the menschlichkeit. What often happens is, you know, we focus on a lot of things that are beautiful and amazing. And we sometimes don't look at that. And I'm saying, look at that. It's so important. You want your daughter, your son to be married to somebody who's just menschlich, who's a real good, good person. God forbid, God forbid, we all know divorce situations. When two people are civil, it's a whole different story. Not that we're planning for divorce, God forbid. But the point is, whatever happens in life, you want to be dealing with a person who's upright, who you could speak to, who will make compromises. And even if he or she is upset, but it's going to be normal, it's going to be balanced, and there's going to be a kindness and a chesed there. That is so critical. I send you all my love and blessings to be able to have tremendous nachas from yourselves, from all of your children. And all of us should be able to see our children build beautiful, inspiring, uplifting homes filled with bracha and hatzlacha, serenity and love. Avas Hashem, Avas Atayra, Avas Yisrael, Larichis Yama Rishanam Taivas. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.